0: Welcome to Christians in the Public Square, with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self.
1: Hi, Scott.
0: Hey. hey, buddy. How are you?
1: I beat you to it this time. I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I am okay. I'm doing real good. Um, I Beverly tells, tells me that it's funny that, because, um, you know, she'll say, how are things going? I say, okay. And she said, one time she said, so okay is really good, right? <laughs> Yep. We're joined today by Cheryl Bake. And Cheryl, I'm so glad you came back uh, to join us. How You're, I uh,
2: up that invitation.
0: Well, your visit last time was one of the most listened to episodes so far. So I'm wow. just I'm just putting that out there for all of the other guests. Their game is not necessarily <laughs> as strong as yours. No pressure.
1: And we also say that to tell our listeners that we may have Cheryl on every other week, maybe.
0: That's right. Yeah.
2: Well, just that would be okay. Really, it's always fun to talk. Just to
0: just to remind everyone, um, uh, w- tell us what is your what is your job title these days? Uh,
2: retired has been. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not just a has been, but a retired has been.
2: Yeah, retired has been. I am retired after uh, spending twenty years as the chair of the. Department of Journalism and Mass Communication at Abilene Christian University. And in retirement, I'm doing some freelance writing and a little bit of consulting.
0: You're doing a, I'm saying you're writing a lot more. I don't know if it's just because I'm paying attention or.
2: Oh, I'm writing a lot more than I was when I was teaching because, you know, who had time for that? I was too busy teaching people how to write, but. uh, No, it's
0: great. It's great to see.
2: Thank you. I'm enjoying it. Well. And, you know, once you are able to officially leave academia, you get to write things people will actually read. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. And so um, I really enjoy that. Coming from a journalism and public relations background, actual readers is very valuable to me.
0: We had a big chuckle. I I was on a dissertation committee, and um, the student said, during uh, her final defense, well, when people read my dissertation, and we all three started laughing. Oh no! <laughs> I don't think anybody's read my dissertation.
2: <laughs> you know, I have a I have a friend who became my friend solely because I met this person. He recognized my name and said. I read your dissertation. Wow! <laughs> and I was like, "Really? Why?" It was the conference, uh, and um, he did. He he read my name on my name tag and recognized it. And because he wow. was doing some, he teaches at um, USC, and we are friends to this day. It wound up, he had gone to Howard Payne. He was from Texas. He worked at the New York Times and lots of other places, but, um, yeah, he, he was doing a, um, project on, uh, something related to schools in Texas. And that was a big part of my dissertation research. And so he had actually read it. I've never, ever, ever had another person tell me that. And so we have to stay friends.
0: That's right. Yeah. You got to (laughs) stick, you got to stick with that guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's the guy who read my dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's remember that sacred cows make great barbecue, Scott.
0: That's right. We will scoff at orthodoxy whenever we wish.
1: And at the same time, what will we do? Fly our flags proudly. That's right. We will staunchly defend our positions, but always bros before politicos.
0: We're brothers first and then we figure everything else out. That's right. Um. So. Yeah, part of what part of what Bobby Ross was, um, I think, helping us talk about was a little bit about information literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I know that's those are big words, and Cheryl's going to smack me for using big words <laughs> here in a minute. But uh, I no, I think that's a I think that's an important uh, thing for us to kind of unpack a little bit. And here, let me go ahead and put the thesis out there for us to kind of wrestle with. I think we should be better at figuring out as Christians. I think we should be better at figuring out what is good information and what should be passed forward and what is not good information. And the reason is that the the same danger that generally happens with gossip and the and the dangers of gossip uh, are are m- much more severe in a time where we're sharing bad information about a deadly virus, right? And so the consequences are much more severe. However, the principle has been something that we've tried to talk about uh, for generations, this idea that we just don't throw out stupid things that, um, uh, that don't need to be repeated, that aren't honest or aren't vetted. So I think there's something about our uh, Christian citizenship that is, um, I think, tested by bad information and And our approach to engaging in public discourse is tested by these kind of instances. And let me start by giving a um, very real example of what I'm talking about. In September of 2017, there was a photograph being um, propagated through social media of a football player from the Seattle Seahawks burning an American flag. I'd seen it in several different places contexts this uh, this image uh but then it was shared by uh someone that the three of us know uh, a a person with a phd shared it on their uh facebook feed and that was the point where i felt like this is no longer dumb it's dangerous because this person is understood by their credentials to be Someone who vets information, or vets vets data, and and in fact, uh, the photograph is a fake. It has been a fake, and you don't have to you don't have to do much work to discover that it's a fake. The, the gentleman never did burn an American flag. He's dancing around in the in the uh, uh, locker room, and somebody photoshopped in a burning flag. You don't have to be that you don't have to put in a great deal of effort to discover that that is a, a fake image. And yet here's someone who's uh, credentialed to teach students <laughs> passing forward information that characterizes this, uh, frankly, African-American man uh, in, a time of, in a time where athletes were protesting and kneeling to make some kind of argument, to make some kind of statement about uh who athletes are, especially who black athletes are, just really angered me uh because of what it does to our our community, so I've kind of started this up. Cheryl, talk to us a little bit about where you see the the problem being when we think about
2: you know when I see things posted on on Facebook, especially the place that I start well. Often I just have a gut feeling. There's something about this that's wrong. Sometimes it's blatantly obvious that it's wrong. Other times, I uh, just something tells me this is this is wrong. There's something missing here. And one of the first things that I do is to just open it and read it and check the date and see if this is new or if it might be two, three, or four, five years old. Very often it's old which means that the whole context of it has changed, even if it's true. Um, I will Google it to see if I'm finding that same information in multiple sources. And by multiple sources, I don't mean other Facebook feeds, but legitimate news sources or legitimate information sources. Uh, and just see if it rings true. And, and then if it's not, uh, try to find a couple of sources of information that I can share with that person in order to say, Hey, this is not correct. You may want to take this down. Um, What's interesting to me is how many times someone will say, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I should have checked that out first. And then they leave it up. Yeah. Drives me crazy because the thing that we all know is most people don't read through all of those comments beneath the post. And so mm-hmm. they don't get to the comment that says, oh, you're right. I should have looked into that. It's it's incorrect. They just see the original post. They think, oh, that's true. That's gospel. And they comment on it and go on believing it. So I think that we have a real responsibility to remove inaccurate information from our feeds when we discover something is incorrect. I don't remember what your original question was, but
0: there's... A- no, that's it. I mean, no, you're getting right at it. I, I love the idea of um, kind of how you smell through things. And I I'd not thought about uh, checking the date first. I mean, that makes a, lo- a great deal of sense. And it kind of gets to this, I, you used the word, it kind of gets to this idea of context, doesn't it? That Absolutely. So much of what gets missed, it's not so much that people share things that are necessarily false all the time, but they share things that have been decontextualized. And when they're decontextualized, they lose layers of meaning that are really, really important to interpreting or understanding that data?
2: Well, for example, there has been a, it's more or less a meme. It's a meme of compiled data from good sources, from the World Health Organization, from Johns Hopkins, that lists the number of deaths every year, or perhaps it was in a 90-day period, by assorted sources, including COVID-19. Some of the other items that are listed include cancer and heart attack and automobile accidents and uh, a wide variety of other things. There's a list of about 10. And the number of deaths at that point in time caused by COVID-19 was significantly less than these others. Now the meme sits there all by itself But with a very clear implication that, so why are we making such a big deal of this COVID-19 thing if many more people die of cancer than die of this? Mm -hmm. Well, the place where it's not contextualized is that of all the things on that list, and as I said, there were about 10, only two others besides COVID-19 were things that were contagious from human to human. And those sure. were the seasonal flu and HIV. Well, so what we know about the seasonal flu and HIV is that they are much less contagious and much more treatable than COVID-19. So yeah. Even if you wanted to say, well, OK, let's compare the number of deaths per year or in a given period of time by other diseases that are Contagious human to human, then yeah, you could have those three in the same list. But even then, the chart doesn't go on to say, okay, let's talk about diseases that are currently not treatable, for which there is no cure. Well, now the only one that's left is the one that's causing the quarantines. And so the context of that meme was completely wrong. And worse than that was left to be presumed by the reader who might not sit and think through, oh, yeah, we really shouldn't compare car accidents to a new virus. Mm. Because A, car accidents aren't contagious. B, we do take many, many steps by the public and private sectors to limit the number of deaths that happen as a result of car accidents. And we have greatly reduced that, but it really is a completely different category uh, than a a virus. And that was just one example. There was no context whatsoever for this list. And, And I see that kind of thing all the time. And it does require a little bit of critical thinking, And I did stop as I, as I kept seeing it going, there's an agenda here. Why are they choosing these things? And then Mm -hmm. with a more close look at the list, I was like, oh, well, you can't even begin to compare all of those things. It's, It's not apples and oranges. It's like, you know, apples and peanuts. It's just two completely different elements entirely. And so that kind of context for data is largely missing, it's especially missing in the pithy little statements and memes that we see on social media. Yeah.
0: Um, when, when you're talking about the context of data, I, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand is the kind of ethics that go into uh, good research, especially when you're talking about quant data, the kind of ethics that are involved. I remember, I remember in one of my stats courses, we were learning to do, uh, histograms, uh, which is a kind of chart. Uh, and they, sh- and the professor showed us a number of different, uh, histograms or charts that were poorly crafted. And the reason they were poorly crafted is they implied greater effects than the data actually supported. And the whole point, uh, in that presentation was to make sure that we ethically uh, you know displayed data, and so there is a way in which um I think a lot of a lot of our citizens don't know the kinds of work that is being done to contextualize data in terms of when reliable sources are doing it, and that that is a different exercise than when um maybe someone who's doing this for more nefarious reasons, or maybe just from a a place of, of, um, of ignorance doesn't, doesn't know that those kinds of things, um, are part of good data reporting. Does that make sense?
2: It does make sense, Scott. And I, I think though, that for the general consumption of data through things like social media, as well as through news media, we do have to realistically understand that our audience is not composed of people that has sat through statistics classes. Right. And you know, I mean, I, I am proud to say I survived several of those and forgot 90% of what I learned. I'm not a quantitative uh, person and never was a quantitative researcher, but a a handful of basic principles from that can prove useful lifelong, but in so many ways, the things that allow people to just be thoughtful readers and consumers of information, not just data, but information is easier than that. It comes back to your basic elements of context, who, what, when, where, why, and how, you know, the, Media writing one hundred and one from a nonfiction perspective, and I'm sure that Cole, having taught literature, has talked about those same things. You know, in in uh, composition and in literature, those are the elements of context. What are we talking about? Who was involved? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Why did it happen? How did it happen? You change one single element of that, and you've changed the entire event, the entire set of facts have been dramatically changed. And I think most people can understand that even if they don't understand um, what a histogram is.
0: Mm, Right. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I did, I did find that, um, I was having a conversation with someone in the comments section of someone else's uh, Facebook post. It's a dangerous place to be for very long. Um, And the post was, you know, it was looking at percentages instead of numbers of COVID deaths. And I was pointing out that percentages can be very, very dangerous in the context that they were being used because they were implying that there are low effects. They're not contextualized and uh, disaggregated. And anyway, the other person was saying, no, percentages are good because because um, uh, it's easier to understand. And I thought, you know, I'm going to need to let this one go. I don't think this person is trying to be nefarious and that I don't think I can explain to them the selection of data display in in quantitative terms. And that's, I I probably need to let this one go. That is a very different thing than uh, somebody who is maybe, you know, trying to propagate uh, information to fit a narrative or to uh, interpret data to fit a particular, uh, perspective that, that maybe needs more of my attention and somebody, I'm not sure how much of a statistics course I'm going to be able to teach in the comments section of a Facebook post. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cole, talk to us a little bit about where you're coming from so far.
1: Yeah. I'm going to try to make a different point and see if you agree or cut me off. Never Um, never never that i i'm going to make the argument that uh, social media has developed the critical reading skills of a nation how about that
0: man i know that's mad
1: amused and, and here's what i mean when when people scroll when when joe q public scrolls through his facebook feed and sees a A pithy chart or a meme with stats on it, I don't think that he since he's joe I don't think that he attaches the same significance that he attaches when he reads something in the Wall Street Journal or uh, in in time magazine or or any other or, or certain other sources <clears throat> and I think that when facebook started, and and I am old enough to remember when Facebook was brand new. Heck, I'm old enough to remember when digital watches were brand new. <laughs> but but I, I've seen the public develop this critical skin uh, that they use when they scroll through lots of social media, and and they've gone from, oh my gosh, this is a cause for alarm, or oh my gosh, this is really sticking it to my enemy, to... Uh, that's that might might be true. It might not be. Look at this cat video that comes after it, you know, and i I think I would I, to me, the thesis I would proffer is that crowd vetting is the ultimate peer review. And I have seen somebody post something in any type of source. Uh, I subscribe to The Wall Street Journal and I read articles and comments. And I mean, if you post something and there is a journal article somewhere from a certain academic discipline that refutes what you have to say, it shows up pretty quickly um, because you have a, you have thousands and thousands of people reading the same article you're reading and forming opinions. So if I want to casually come in and make a surface level barb or ripost uh, to someone's I am less inclined to do so knowing that good arguments can quickly come to refute me.
2: Well, if I may. Yes, please. The very fact that you use the Wall Street Journal as your example carefully selects out an enormous chunk of the people for whom uh, critical thinking is really not the norm.
1: Let me put it a different way. I think one of the reasons that MSNBC and CNN have been biting the dust in the past year is because people are more critical consumers for this critical skin argument reason I'm making. And I will include Fox News in that. It was, there was a time when Fox News was the only conservative place for a person to go to hear um, opinions and news about things that they were interested in. And now Fox News, and not just now, but in the past several years, Fox News has has become a caricature which has destroyed, I think, what it was trying to do in the beginning. And I'll say the same thing about MSNBC, uh, because people have effectively begin waving their hands at the screen when they hear things, which is unfortunate. But I think it's because the overload of information has caused us all to become um, a better Reviewer of what we are getting, Cheryl. Do you, do you disagree?
2: I do. I I do because I I think it. I I think that some people might wave their hand at the screen, so to speak, when they see that the source of something is either Fox News or MSNBC uh, or CNN. Though I still think CNN is in between the other two, certainly leaning towards MSNBC. But regardless, uh, some people do that. But there's a huge population out there that also will wave their hand at the screen only if it's the one they disagree with. So they will take Fox's gospel and wave their hand at everything else and vice versa. Mm,
1: ah, Okay, keep going.
2: I, I, I am sorry that I didn't know that this was the direction the conversation was going to take because I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's some hard data for this. Um, and I think that the problem with Uh, what happens on social media in taking stories from those other places is different than what happens when you sit down in front of your television and watch. Way back when uh, news sources first began using the internet as a means of sharing information, the conversations that people were having in my world were full of worry that eventually people would limit their consumption to sources that they agreed with. And that by doing so, they would become less informed, not more informed. And that is what I see happening. That, and initially we thought, oh, this will be great if people really want to read about politics and not have to read about movies or watch cat videos that we could not have imagined at that point in history that cat videos would become the thing they became.
1: And thank goodness they are.
2: Yes. <laughs> if we had, if we had uh, looked to the future, we couldn't have seen what it would become. But we did have concern that people would eliminate out all of the sources that didn't fit their own narrow view of the world. In their own narrow list of interests. So we now live in an age where if really and truly what someone wants is not just cat videos, but they only want cat videos of thoroughbred cats of a particular breed between a certain age from a particular country, they can do that, you know? Uh, and that's not a very valuable way to consume news and to, to understand the world around us and the political world around us and major trauma to the world around us represented by something like the coronavirus. So let me give you an example. The the most upsetting thing that I saw on Facebook last week was a fairly long post by a younger friend that went through a whole list of about 10 or 12 points It began by saying something like, I started out complying, but it didn't feel right to me. I didn't trust it. And then it goes through a long list of uh, random conspiracy theories. Some of them clearly stated and some of them only alluded to. In the comments, she later would say, no, I didn't write this. I, I borrowed it from a friend who didn't know where it originally came from. So, so far, this sounds like, yeah, so how is that different than everything else on Facebook? Well, here's the thing. At the, the first time I looked at it, it had like 70 shares. The next time I looked at it, it had 200 shares. By morning, it had over 300 shares. This is a personal Facebook page of a person who does not have thousands and thousands of friends, okay? I'm, I won't go back and see how many it has now because I find it so depressing. This was a person with a a lovely person, okay, a kind, lovely person with no particular expertise about politics or disease or government, let alone about Bill Gates and Chinese laboratories, okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, who puts this thing out there. And because she's a lovely, kind person, lots of people read what she has to say because she's such a nice person. And they immediately think, oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. And they share it with all their friends. And not only does it not cite sources, she freely says, oh, no, I don't really know where it came from. It just sounded right.
0: Right. Right.
2: So that says to me that there is no critical thinking going on.
0: None. And it also, and and it also, uh, sure I don't mean to interrupt, but I think this is it. This is the difference between in the case of Fox or CNN or MSNBC or any news source, you're the consumer and there is an editor and the editor may respond to the market of individual consumers, but um, the editor decides what's in the paper, what's on the website, what's on the news. In this case, we are the editors right and so when we put for when we push something forward um it's we're we were talking about this before we started recording it's we're a part of a virus when we when we decide we're going to push something forward and especially if we're not careful and we're not vetting what we what we put up it's different. It's different than if when CNN puts up bad info, because that's on that's on some editor's shoulders. In this case, it's on ours.
1: Can I tell you why I'm less concerned about your example than you are, Cheryl? <clears throat> Please. Well, let's assume that she that 300 of her friends not only read it, but shared it on their own and that their friends and their friends, their friends are all reading and sharing a piece of discourse that starts with, I have no facts for this. I just feel this way. And I, I don't, it's not the same as 300 and 300 and 300 people believing what she wrote, hook, line and sinker. So we're still, I think, in a, in a context where people go, this is a Facebook post about a woman who feels a certain way. Now, some people may. It, I agree because I studied rhetoric that discourse has an effect on an audience. I'm just not as concerned as the effect something like that will have in 2020, the way I might have had in in 2000.
2: Okay. Well, keep in mind the post doesn't say that. She says that in the comments. Well, okay. And so we know that people don't always read the comments. Uh,
1: yeah, but yeah. They,
2: they read the post and they respond. And they Scott and I were talking about this earlier. Someone throws something up. It's wrong someone points out that it's wrong and they may say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that, but they don't take it down. Yeah. So it's a, I, I really do think that there is a, um, and the other thing that struck me about this was there was a generational divide. Many of the people who thought that what was said here and these causes for concern and these suspicions about the evil powers that are out there were under 35. Mm-hmm. Um so in other words, people who have grown up in an era where much of the information they consumed came from social sources instead of traditional sources. And that's not helped by the fact that lots of people over 35 are, you know, dismissing the credibility of traditional sources just as much. Because when you when you talked a while ago about um an editor you know, th- this is a subject we used to con- uh, discuss a lot is that most people don't understand the, the critical role of an editor and that that is a level of review that, uh, you know, when you have something that you have written, published in, in in a journal, there's been a level of peer review there, but there has been a level of review when you write something that is published in a newspaper or something that goes through an editorial process where there is a set of principles applied, where there is fact-checking applied, where there's a host of other editorial um, steps. Most people have no clue about that. And they, they probably dismiss that it actually exists. So if they can't value a traditional source that has been traditionally edited then why would they expect or demand those same steps of something that they see on social media from an unidentified and an unqualified source?
1: Do you think that, that again, I'm going to push a little bit for crowd vetting because I, Cheryl, I think that people's, uh, sensibilities of what they're going to read and believe versus hold at bay and consider. I think that their uh, intuition to do that has caused them to more carefully criticize in the literal sense of that word, the traditional media. And I think we've seen some huge slip ups by CBS and ABC recently. And I would argue NPR though. Nobody agrees with me on this program. Um, (laughs) Uh, I've seen some gigantic editor-level mistakes of people who – of stories that came through that were not fact-checked. It cost Dan Rather his job years ago. Dan Rather. But
0: that's – you just made the point by noting that he lost his job. Yes. He lost his job. You don't lose your job for putting out bad stuff on Facebook. But
1: you do lose your ethos, and I think Facebook has almost no ethos left because of how much – People reposted anything for the for the past several years. So I'm not arguing that people don't repost dumb things. I'm I'm arguing that people read it with a certain kind of whatever. Maybe that's too optimistic in my view. Cole, I have
2: often told you I thought you were too much of an optimist. <laughs> I think the entire libertarian perspective is too optimistic about the. Basic moral core of humanity, um, <laughs> I I just don't see it, and and I I am an optimist at heart. I, I try really hard to be, um, and I you know I know the things that you're saying about traditional media are true as well, but if I have to pick between. Random, unsighted, unsourced facts by person on Facebook and the Washington Post. I'm going to pick the Washington Post every time. But there's an awful lot of people out there who will pick anything but the
1: Washington Post. But I don't think that they pick them uncritically.
0: So what you're saying, Cole, is... Let me see if I understand your argument. What you're saying is, yes, this stuff propagates. Yes, st- people people read it. They might even believe it a little bit, but a lot less, it has less impact on, uh, the, uh, perception of knowledge than it, than, than we're giving it, uh, credence for or credit for. Yeah. Am I understanding you correctly?
1: Yes. And whereas the first amendment, we
0: almost treat it like entertainment. It is a cat video in and of itself. <laughs>
1: Can that be the title of this episode? <laughs> yes. News is a cat video. I, I think the First Amendment used to mean, you know what? These three news bureaus are going to exist without any interference from the government. And and now I think it means these million news bureaus, quote unquote, are gonna exist, and the reader has to sort it out. And and Cheryl, I totally agree with you that. People who want something that they feel very strongly is probably true are going to watch the five thirty news on a major network, or or read a well uh, a, a publication with a long track record. But anymore, I'm I'm happy that people are reading or watching even those news uh, programs and reading even those with a critical eye because it helps to uh, undo some of the damage that they've done.
2: Oh I think I think everybody should read with a critical eye. And first of all, I mean I I seldom watch news on television from any source except during a nat natural disaster or maybe on election night, you know. Uh, but for routine news consumption, I go to major sources online. And I try to read broadly. Um I don't uh think that I see most people doing that. So let's go back to this idea of crowd vetting. Because see, I would say crowdsourcing is very valuable. Crowdsourcing is a way to get more information from more places, which can, when well done, provide greater context. So I think that use of the crowd can be very very helpful, but you know to drag us back to the subject at hand, um, <laughs> which was context <laughs> and contextualizing things. I do think that there has to be a common understanding of what context is, mm-hmm. and we don't have that in the world of social media. We don't have a um, any particular mutual agreement on what is true, let alone how to prove what is true
0: well, it's disincentivized the the incentives for social media are to be as brief as possible, right in the case of Twitter, one hundred forty characters or less so that's part of the incentive part of the incentive is brevity. The other part of the incentive is i mean cole you you hinted at this it's likes or uh um retweets or or reposts; those are the incentives, and so because those are the incentives, there's no real control. Even if it's even if it's just a house fire, even if it's just Tiger King, even if it's just create just watching crazy. I have
2: not watched Tiger King. I will not watch Tiger King.
0: <laughs> you are missing out. It is uh, it is amazing, but I'll tell you, I Beverly and I went to Austin on Saturday, and it just had, we went we went to see our our son before we, before we move. And so we went down to see him, but we, we drove downtown. Um, and of course, InfoWars Wars was uh, hosting a, um, big rally down there at the, at the Capitol. And I understand that there are cook balls who would like to show up and, and, um, protest against, um, the media's portrayal of the virus. I know those people exist and they were there and that's a thing, I guess I get it, but what boggled me, were all of the other people who showed up without masks, you know, uh, a foot from one another, looking at him and saying, those are a bunch of crazies, but they may have a point. Right. I mean, it was the crowd around it was watching this, and and the consequence is not that we just believe that 9-11 was an inside job. The consequence is not that we believe that the moon landing was a hoax. The consequence is people get more virus or the virus propagates. And that it has significant consequences. People will die as a function of bad information and bad use of information. So the context in this in this situation, is so much more severe. I mean, the price that we pay for bad information is so much more severe than it was three months ago. I mean, I would argue that it was bad three months ago and that there were consequences, but they're immediate and they're severe.
1: Well, first of all, we have no evidence that man landed on the moon. I just want to start by saying that.
0: We know it was a hoax because the earth is flat.
1: <laughs> and the flag, there's no wind in the space and the flag moves. I I guess my bottom line is people who used to say, no matter what else I hear, I can always sit down at 530 and hear the straight truth from NBC, ABC, CBS. Now those people are saying, I may or may not hear the straight truth from, MSN, from CBS, NBC, or ABC. You know, I watch the 530 News every day and every single one of those starts with breaking news. You know, no matter what's happening, they have to say it's breaking news. Well, now the next time something is extremely imminent and they say breaking news, people say, yeah, whatever. You know, Um, it's you say that social media is incentivized to get likes and retweets and stuff. Well, so is the 530 News. It wants you to turn to that channel and be sensational and get more revenue for advertising and everything else. Okay, I have
2: to respond to that, because you do understand that breaking news is a term that actually has meaning. Of course. It's not just, yes, it certainly could be sensationalized, but uh, a story about what's happened to the stock market in the last month is not breaking news. On the other hand, at 5.30, if they look at the stock market and see that since two o'clock this afternoon, it's gone up 2% or down 2%, that is breaking news.
1: Yes, Cheryl, but this has been the way he's. This is the way David Muir has begun every episode for the past year and a half.
2: Well, it's because in this world, there's always something breaking. Well,
1: and if everything is breaking, then nothing is breaking.
2: No. <laughs> no. You see what I mean? Yeah, but it's not true.
1: Okay. well, I need I wait. I
0: need to refill my popcorn. Hang on just a second.
1: (laughs) My point is, I, I, I think we all from the most robust reader to the least sophisticated have a little bit more critical eye because of the things that I think are alarming you. They don't alarm me as much. I think that's what I'm trying to say.
0: I can I can hear what you're coming from, Cole. I think what you're I think I understand you saying that folks believe less across the board, so they don't just assume that whatever they hear is true, that that um that maybe we're selling people short when they see something on their Facebook feed that might be bad information. Many people might see a guy holding a burning flag and say that may or, that may be photoshopped, right?
2: Okay, I can only think of one point.
0: I don't think that's what happens, but I think I think I can hear your point. I
2: can only think of one point that would support what Colt would was saying. So, because I'm such a nice person, I'm going to share it. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I I do think it's worth pointing out that there were supposedly. What, Scott, two, three hundred people that showed up at the Texas Capitol on Saturday? hmm
0: Well, of uh, protesters. Now, there was a big crowd around them of people watching the protesters.
2: Okay. Sympathetic yeah. people?
0: No. Just watching. Gawkers.
2: Okay. It, if you want to say, though, that there were two or three hundred protesters, that's not a particularly big protest. Not in the no. Boston, let alone in the state of Texas or in the United States. Yeah. So um, that would suggest that there were two or three hundred protesters and maybe another five hundred gawkers. But that means the majority of people had the good sense to stay home.
0: Right. That's a great. So
2: uh, and that requires context to understand that. And I have seen those kinds of numbers, uh, frankly, in major news media. Of, you know, there were 200 here, there were 300 here, 100 mm-hmm. here. I think that's yeah. really important context. However, sometimes you have to point that out to people. You have to say, oh, you know, yeah, there was a protest and it's worth saying there was a protest. What's more significant is the level of organization among the protests and how they originated. And that is a different level of context that people can only get if the more traditional editorial processes in play. But I'm dying to hear what Cole's second question is.
1: Well and Scott and I talked about this earlier about having you on again on this, which is apparently your last time to ever appear here, may I say. <laughs> uh, which
0: is, <laughs> no it's not
1: <laughs> which is uh the Christian in the public square facet of, of all this. Okay. Um I my head is off to you, Cheryl, uh, on a weekly basis, because when you post things, I think, you know, I may feel the same way, but if, if I post that, it's going to get me into a week long argument and I am going to come off uh, looking really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upset people. And it's to me, it's not worth engaging on Facebook but when I see you do it, you're you're very um rhetorically gifted. <clears throat> and wow. there are sometimes well, there are times when you make people mad at you. I can see that. Yes. I and do. I'm I'm wondering um what is your word for the Christian consumer of of uh social media who sees things being posted left and right that in our in in the opinion of the Christian consumer of social media it needs a corrective. I mean, how do you choose what things to go? Okay. This is over the line. How do you choose to say this? I'm going to let go. And, and to what degree is it part of your Christian mission?
2: Well, it's pretty central to my Christian mission is because I believe one of the core values of the gospel is truth. And I I came from a professional environment where the core value was truth. So it's really important to me. How do I decide when to engage and when not to engage? I will tell you that sometimes I will go for just days and not engage. It's just no, not going there. Don't have the energy for that. And (laughs) then I will see something that I just can't ignore. So some of the ways that I make the decision whether to engage or not uh, have to do with who has posted something. For example, the one that the post that I mentioned earlier, the the friend who had posted this big, long thing with no sources and all these um, shares and everything. I did not engage with that for a couple of reasons. uh, I don't typically engage with that person on social media, Mm. nobody that I exchange a lot with anyway, uh, other than to, you know, like pictures of cute kids or something. Secondly, most of the people who were engaging with it and commenting on it, I didn't know most of them or anything about them, and the topics were so volatile Mm. that I thought it would be unwise to engage some of them. I, I didn't know where that would go. I'm not an alarmist, but I do try to pay attention. There are a couple of topics, for example, Um, abortion and homosexuality that I do not get into Facebook conversations about because they are so laden with emotion and vitriol that I just see no point in going there. I'll have a conversation, um, conversations that might surprise some people one-on-one. But I don't I don't do that on social media. It's not a good context for that conversation. But I so I, I, I do look to see who has posted and who's responding. Um I I want to see how important it is. Is it is it really damaging for this false information to continue to get out there? Hmm. Um you know, I haven't engaged on this because it hasn't hasn't been relevant to any of the conversations I've been in. But, for example, um, you know, your favorite Fox News um, last week went to Dr. Phil to rebut <laughs> something from Dr. Fauci. Right. Now, we can <laughs> right. have a whole conversation about that. But several people have pointed out that Dr. Phil said there had been... 360,000 deaths, I think, in home swimming pools last year. And yet we weren't shutting them down. When in reality, there had been 3,600 deaths in home swimming pools. Well,
0: it's off by a factor of a thousand percent.
2: Yeah. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where he's wrong. He's blatantly wrong. Yeah. But I haven't bothered to jump into that with anybody because I just really don't care about talking about swimming pools. Okay. <laughs> it, it's, it's, that's a, it, that's a, it was a stupid analogy to begin with and then he got it wrong. So I'm not going there, but uh, you know, just, just for a less politicized example um, I'm forever seeing people who will post something about some missing child, and the very first thing I always do is to go to the original news stories about that abduction or yeah. disappearance and see when that happened. Because very often it happened six months or six years ago. And the child has either been found hmm. or has been found dead or has been safely returned to their parents. And so people need to know that. They need to know that. we don't need to panic about this poor child anymore. And I will always point those kinds of things out. They're really easy and it, Mm -hmm. it, it solves a problem. You know, if if somebody takes that down, then there aren't yet more people out there spreading it and worried and, and all that kind of thing.
0: It seems like you have a smell test. Like there are things that, that to you seem like uh, we might want to double check this. And can you kind of unpack for us what that smell test is? I mean, I'm I'm guessing it's more than just it looks uh, sketchy or this, you know, what is it that when you see a piece of information, you think to yourself, I'm going to Snopes or I'm going to Google this or. um,
2: Well, yeah, there is a smell test. I mean, and part of it just comes from, you know, years of kind of watching the news. But
0: sure. um,
2: Well, one of them is timeliness. That's okay, the timeliness. The easy one is timeliness. I'll just look to see did this actually happen this week or did this happen a year ago or did this person say this a long time ago, et cetera. I, I, the timeliness factor, um, sometimes there is a smell test of that and it's easy to check out. That's a That's a really easy one. I think the second one has to do with outrageousness. I frequently will see things um often attributed to Nancy Pelosi I, it's she is such an um popular target mm-hmm. um of her having said something outrageous and sometimes i think i don't think she would have said that got gotcha. you even if she thought that I don't think she would have said that. You can you can like her, you can not like her, but she is an intelligent and astute politician, okay? And um, she has pretty measured approach to what she says and doesn't say. If you actually listen to her live, okay? So uh, frequently I'll look at something. Well, the other day I saw she had, I wish I could remember exactly what it was this thing said that she had said. Oh, it was something about the fact that people on Social Security were just a drain on society and it was time to cut them off. (laughs) And this had been shared from, and I thought, I don't think she would say that. Right. Because for one thing, she relies on those votes in her district. And that doesn't sound like something that Democratic speaker would say. So I chased that one a little bit. Well, it was from The Onion. It was from. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I see this happen all the time. Things that yeah. are outrageous get picked up from a site that was always parody
1: mm-hmm. of
2: some sort. And someone either A doesn't understand what that means. They don't <laughs> and that's a little scary. But that's Cole's fault. He's the one who's supposed to teach him those things. Um, <laughs> or somebody else grabbed it. And so it it seems reasonable to them that Nancy Pelosi would say that because they don't like Nancy Pelosi. And she's always saying bad, nasty things. So right. my friend posted this. And my friend is a good, truthful person. This must be right. I'm going to share it. Well, somewhere along the line, the truth entirely was lost. And you can like And people will... There have been times when I will point out to someone, you know, that's not exactly what this person said. And they will reply to me, well, maybe not, but it's still the truth because that's the kind that's of That's
0: what thing she
2: that thinks, you know, yeah. I just want to go, oh, my my goodness, you know. Um, so that, yeah. I that's
0: really, yeah, that's a really helpful tip. I, I I love the idea of if you see something that seems like, that, that somebody says something that sounds evil, it's a good time to go check and see if they yeah. really are that evil. And maybe they are, but you want to check.
2: Yeah, it's it's a I do think that and that's the kind of thing that you can usually check for, for reasons that frustrate me enormously. There's an entire culture now that distrusts fact checkers.
0: Mm, um, right. They, yeah, I heard I heard someone recently say that Snopes is a part of the problem.
2: Yeah, it, yeah. And they just, they distrust Snopes. They distrust PolitiFact. They, they distrust Fact Checker. They distrust all of them. Yeah. Which is the ultimate tragedy because most of those organizations were created to help solve that very problem of distrust by actually going back to the source. But there are some things that are pretty easy to do on your own, Um, you know, thanks to Google and just if you're, well-read at all. You can look back and, and find um, data and and the original reporting of something and the original statement or speech or whatever it was. It's not that difficult.
1: Yeah. And Cheryl, for, because of what you're saying now about going to the original source, I have no problem with the fact that people distrust Snopes and PolitiFact and factchecker.org because those are all run by people and those people have an agenda. And I, it's not that I'm a conspiracy theorist and think they are hiding things necessarily. I just think they're people uh, who run organizations. And I, like you, I would say, let me find the speech where the person said this. And if I can't find that speech, I'm going to hold things at bay rather than saying, because it's on PolitiFact, I will believe it.
0: Well, I want to say, Cole, I think there's a difference between having an agenda and ha- and being interpretive. So- sure. I mean, sure, sure. I, th- I think the agenda is to try and stand up for truth. That's different from saying that things are interpreted. And so sometimes, you know, I mean, you see this, PolitiFact doesn't oftentimes say this is true or false. They kind of have the truth-o-meter because it's, you know, it's <laughs> right. never really, you, it's it's hard to say that this statement is false just because one word in it was false or the measure of it was, right? So I, I think that there is a difference between trying to interpret the, the veracity of a statement and having an agenda to, um, to I, I think the agenda could be standing up for truth.
1: Yes. And when I say having an agenda, I don't mean it in the capital letters type of, I own 50 copies of Catcher in the Rye. I mean- in, <laughs> I have, You I mean, do though. Uh, maybe I do. But I have an interpretive <laughs> lens that I want. You know, I am always trying to push liberty. Always, yeah. always, always, always.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so I, I want when I'm looking to see if something's true, I will be more apt to report on it if it helps. That. Well, well yeah.
2: Oh, here's the thing. It, there are certain things that the the lens or worldview of a fact checker might determine whether they conclude something is true or not. But if the fact is, were there a hundred people there or were there 300 people there? Well, that's a pretty quantifiable fact. That's true. And if you have a photograph, you can say, yeah, count the noses. There's a hundred. No, there's 300. It's, um, it is pointless to say that they don't serve a useful purpose. Um, what I what I sometimes do is start with Snopes or uh, Politifact or something like that, and see what they say, and then look at the sources that they mention. It's sort mm-hmm. of why, you know, as as teachers, we have all told students, "I need ten sources, and I don't want Wikipedia to be one of them."
1: <laughs> right.
2: But what we also all know is that Wikipedia can be really valuable if you skip through the narrative and go down to the bibliography at the bottom.
0: That's mm-hmm. right. It's a great starting place.
2: It's a great Just don't place. stop there. No, it's a great place because they have done a lot to find sources. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can save yourself several steps. And I've told students that before. Me too. Not Wikipedia, it gives you kind of a broad overview of a subject, but then don't cite them as their source look and see where did they get that information. And then you go to that information and verify that that's what it says and then cite that source. Well, I think you can use some of the fact checkers in the same way. Mm -hmm. Where they're really helpful is on some of the nonsensical stuff that is so old or so outrageous. You know, if if you think back to the simple days when the biggest controversy out there was, you know, whether or not, the heir to McDonald's and Liz Claiborne actually supported the church of Satan.
0: Cheryl, once again, you have turned on all kinds of lights for us. (laughs) No, I I'm walking away with this, a better man, because um, I really appreciate the idea of, of the kind of the practical tips of how to, how to engage and engage carefully. That's, that's the thing I'm struggling with. I mean, I know how to, I know how to drop a bomb in a room. I don't know how to be helpful. And that's, you've helped me think about how to be helpful.